All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 18. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. Help us to see the truth of what you were saying and to guide and lead us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 18. Then he said unto, What is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I re resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast out into his garden, and it grew, and waxed in a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Wherefore shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went throughout the cities and villages, teaching and journeying throughout Jerusalem. Then said unto him, unto him Lord, there are there are there few that be saved. And he said, Strive to enter into the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is raised up, he has shut the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock on the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not, whence you come. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence, and you have taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in, in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit at the kingdom of God. And behold, there, there are last which shall be first and the first and are first which shall be last. So here we have three pictures of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And this is quite an interesting thing because hopefully we all want to go into the kingdom of God, which is going to be in the future primarily but we get to experience the beginnings of it once you're saved. Now, this is very interesting because he uses three examples here. He uses the mustard seed, he uses leaven, and he uses the picture of the owner of the house. And this is quite an interesting thing because there's lots of controversies on these scriptures, and we're going to talk, and they're all one picture. All right, they're all the same picture. So what is he saying is that there is a small amount that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we're going, well, well, how small? I don't know. You know, when we talk about the trillions of people who have lived on this world from the beginning of time till, till now, a very small amount could still be millions of people entering into the kingdom, but it is going to be a small amount. And he talks about the idea of this mustard seed and being brought into a huge tree. Now, when we see this, we're going, okay, the kingdom of God is going to be at least looking to be very large. He talks about the leaven in a put into the flour. If anybody's a baker, and I only watch Lynn bake, so I don't know much about baking, but she puts a very little yeast in that uh, flour, and the next thing I know, a couple hours later, that whole loaf is really big, and she's punching it down, it grows back up. She punches it down and grows back up. Uh, but again, a small amount expands to a large amount. And then he talks about the, the kingdom of heaven being like the master's house that has lots of people in and out of it all day long, but not everybody that went in and out of that person's house is part of the kingdom. 
Now it's very interesting in this because when, when the Bible talks about the fowls of the air and uses it in symbology, they're the evil ones. Okay, the evil is the fowls of the air. When they talk about leaven, they're talking about sin. So this is very interesting. It's very interesting to look at what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven. If we look at history of the church, or even go back all the way to history of Jew, the Jewish people, let's start with the, the church. The start, church started around 70 AD, give or take a few years, you know, a little before that. And it was growing and growing and growing, but it was a very small percentage of the population that was part of the church. Then we had in the 400 AD, we had Constantine declare that the Christian, Christianity was the approved religion of Rome. What did we have there? All of a sudden the church exploded. Now the only problem was it wasn't the Christian church that exploded. It was a bunch of traditions of man and ideas and all kinds of things that did not follow God's word and really hurt the church to be accepted. And it grew up like the tree. It grew up like the loaf of bread with the yeast in it and exploded into popularity. In America, when we founded this country, the reason people came to this country originally, if you know your American history, were to escape religious persecution and look for a place where they could practice Christianity openly and purely away from the persecution of both the Church of England and the Catholic Church. So they came to America so that they could practice religion. And for years, America was bound, really bound by this idea. But again, just as in 400 AD, because it was so popular, all of a sudden, everybody said they were Christians and it started to mean nothing. Here we are, we come to our day and age and we look at all the different churches we have out around about us and how many of those churches do not preach the word of God, do not teach the word of God. And yet they name themselves Christian churches. And some of them are really crazy. You go into them and go, well, what, where's your Bible? Well, we don't believe in the Bible. Well, what about Jesus? Well, you know, he was a good man. We don't, well, why are you a Christian? If you're not a follower of Christ, why are you using his name in your, in your title? And this is what happens when the church grows to this extent. In Jesus' day, the Jews were back to the way that they had been many times. Everything was about rules of man, traditions, follow these. Here's what God says you do to worship. And we've got that temple over there. That's where God lives. And we're going to be protected because God lives in that temple and we're okay. But they didn't follow God. They didn't obey God with their own heart. They just did activities. So we want to be very careful that we don't get caught up in the activities of being a Christian. Now, I'm, and you all know I believe in coming to church. I believe in reading our Bible. I believe in coming to Bible studies. I believe in prayer meetings and everything. And they are all good if done for the right reason. But if I'm doing them saying, look at me, I'm a good Christian because I come to church when the doors are open, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, and I'm just ticking off the boxes saying, look how good a Christian I am, you're on the wrong, you're on the wrong process. And this is something that it has to be something that changes in our heart. Are we changed from the inside because God indwells us? And this is very important for us because so many people, and I've met many of them over the years of being walking in churches, 
Well, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Well, nowhere in my Bible does it say I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. As a matter of fact, it tells me that nobody is good enough to go to heaven. So if I'm trying to say I'm going to heaven because I am good, I am better than other people, you're going to be outside that house knocking on the door when the doors are locked saying, let me in. He's going to say, I don't know who you are. These verses scare me because there's three, or three places where Jesus says many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? Didn't I feed the poor? Didn't I give my offerings? Didn't I come to church? Didn't I say my prayers? And he's going to say, yeah, you did all those stuff, but I never knew you. You never came into my presence to do all these things. You did these all on your own. And, you know, it's hard for us as human beings because we like to have, you know, give me the 10 steps to be successful. Give me the 10 steps to please God. Give me the 10 steps to be rich. Give me the 10 steps to get out of debt. You know, give me 10, 12, 13 steps. Tell me exactly what to do and I'll do those things and nothing else matters because I'm going to make sure I do those things that you said were important. And we do this so unconsciously as human beings. You go, God, you know, well, I, I grow by reading your word. And unfortunately, oftentimes we'll do this so subtly. We get saved, we want to be in church. And we want to read our Bible, we want to pray. And then slowly, it starts being, oh, I have to pray, I have to go to church, I have to read my Bible. When you get to that point, you've got a problem, you've got, a, you've got an issue in your life when it's coming down to, I have to do these things. Now, there is a place where you want the discipline. Okay, there is a place where I should discipline myself to read my Bible, come to church, pray, whatever it might be. But if I find myself over the long period of time saying, what's going on? <laughs> I don't want to do these things. Then I have to look at what's wrong with my relationship. And this is very important for us. And this is what Jesus is saying. What is the kingdom like? He says, it is my work. It is where I am at. It is where I am meeting with you. We go all the way back to Genesis, and what does it tell us that happened with Adam and Eve at the cool of the night? God met with them each day and talked with them. I can't imagine what that would be like to actually be in the garden with God coming and actually talking with them. Now, we, get, we can get it. We can come close by getting in the Word and being around the Holy Spirit, but can you imagine what it would have been like to actually have God come down and this would have been a Christophany Jesus Christ showing up before he was born and talking with them every night wow what a day you know well how was your day Adam and Eve you know what what what, what did you do today well you know well we we pruned that bush over there we planted some bushes over here and we thought about your you know about you all day long what a wonderful experience and that would have been and what in a great experience they lost when they sinned but we have that same attitude that we have because we are told that we come boldly to the throne of, of God. We were listening to the Truth Brothers yesterday and Del Tackett said, if you really believe that you were in God's presence when you came to pray, how easy would it be for you to stay there and how hard would it be to leave? And I thought, I've thought about that every time he says that, you know, wow, if I really believe that I was in God's presence when I was praying, 
would I ever want to leave? The one that I love, or the one that I say that I love, you know, wanting to get away from him as quick as possible. God, I only have five minutes for you today, so here, here's my request, see you later. I really love you, bye. <laughs> Where do we spend our time? Where do we put our effort? Becomes really important. You know, where do I spend my money? Who gets my time? Unfortunately for most of us, you know, unfortunately work gets a lot of our time and effort. You know, 40 hours a week minimum for people who work full time. You know, and we need to do that, I understand. But what gets our free time? Where do we spend our free time? For some people and myself in my earlier days, uh, sports got my free time, especially football. During football season, I watched all the games. It was simple back then. There were only four a week. Nowadays, it would be very hard to watch all the games in football. And if you're a baseball or basketball fan or a hockey fan, I don't know how you watch all the games of those ones. You'd be, you'd be busy all the time doing nothing but watching your team play because they play all week long. And where do we put our time? Is there anything wrong with sports? Is there anything wrong with our hobbies? Is there anything wrong with TV? That one I have a little more problem with, but, but where do we put our time? There are many people, as soon as they get home, they sit down in front of the TV and they sit there from the time they get off work to the time they go to bed. What is their God? Very quickly, you can say TV was their God. They spent all their free time watching TV. And this is something we need to look at. And we need to look at it ourselves. Where do I invest my free time? How much time does God get out of my life? And I've told you many times, I don't believe that God just wants a tithe of our money. I believe he wants a tithe of our time, which means he wants about two and a half hours a day. So my challenge for you is looking at your day, does God have two and a half hours of your day? Now, there are some I know that, are, that do probably have that because you're in the church, you know, almost all five, six times that we're, we're open. How much time does God have of your day? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend reading your Bible? How much time do you spend with the body of Christ? Look at that. Open up your checkbook to your cash, whatever you use, and say, how much of my money does God get? How much does he not get? All of this comes down to what is my heart attitude. The kingdom grows. The apparent kingdom grows and all the rules and regulations grow. You can come to a church and all of a sudden you slowly start following rules instead of following God. And I have been in churches where their rules were very clearly stated. Some churches are more subtle in what their rules are. And I'm sure that there probably have been rules developed here that I'm not aware of and try not to, not to, to develop because I want us to be based on grace. But it is very important. How do I live for God? What is it that I spend my time doing? What is it do I spend my energy accomplishing? How do I do this? Does everything you do for God have to be in this building? Absolutely not. We'd be in trouble if everything you did had to be in this building. We'd never reach the world. But how much time outside this building do you spend? You know, uh, how much time do you have that you're saying, I'm lifting God up? We have tracks in there, and it's amazing how many you know, tracks this church gives out because I buy about 1,000 a year, and we give out almost 1,000 a year. We buy these pens 1,000 at a time, and 
and they get gone every year. So you all are doing a good job doing something to pass out. And I really encourage you, you know, grab a track or two, pass them out each week. Who knows whether somebody will get saved? You know, you go to the store, just hand it to somebody. You know, on your way in, and, or you're really, really afraid, hand it to somebody on, that are going in as you're on your way out. That way you won't have to see them anywhere else in the store. Just, here, here, would you read this? This will tell you about Jesus. It doesn't take much. You know, Sharon takes all the old bulletins and gives them out to everybody who visits her store. <laughs> and I am sure that she's the reason why we're heard around the world, because we got people around the world that I have no idea why they would look up chloride and our church if it wasn't for having the address of the church. What does this mean? Where is your activities with God? What are you doing for God, not just to please him, but just for him and for you? I love to read God's word because I get fed so much when I read his word. I get encouraged when I read his word. I love to read his word. Now, when it comes to prayer, your pastor's not real good about prayer. <laughs> prayer is more of a challenge for me. But I love to read and study his word. I do pray. I do lift everybody up. I do encourage. But prayer for me is difficult. Uh, but I, when I read God's word, I get fed and I hear his voice and I hear him talking. And I love his word. And I love being with his people. And being in the church is wonderful to me. You know, and this is something that is really important to us. Why do we spend our time with God? The biggest reason we spend our time with God is because he created us to need him. Without him, we will never be 100% fulfilled. We might temporarily be fulfilled. But Pascal said we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our soul. What does that mean? That only God can fill that shape because he's the only one big enough to fill it. Now that's pretty interesting when we think about it. When we watch the world, we look into the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon tried to fill that hole with all kinds of stuff. And he was the richest man in the world at that time. He'd made, he had so much wealth that silver was worth dust in Jerusalem in those days. And silver is something that is not the greatest value, but it's still worth something. And in his day, they said silver was worthless. You could have had all the silver you want. So if you can go back time, back in time, go back to Solomon's day, get all the silver you want and come back, come back because they'll just give it to you. It was worthless. You know, and you can come back here and have money. Now, I don't know how you're going to go back in time, but that's okay. But he had all this wealth, and he said wealth didn't do it. He had all the money to build buildings and have his name on every, every park and every building, and he says that didn't do it. He invested himself in women. He only had 1,000 wives and concubines, and he said that didn't do it. He invested himself into alcohol and drugs of his day, and that didn't do it. Sounds a little familiar to what happens in our day and age where people do not get fulfilled with anything. And the statement in Ecclesiastes that is so wonderful that said over and over and again, there is nothing new under the sun. And it is so interesting when you look at everything going on and realize it's already happened. You know, it's fun to read the Old Testament, and if you were just to change some of the names around, some of the titles of cities and everything, you're going, am I reading today's newspaper? Because everything that's going on today happened then. Everything that's happened, happening in the church has happened in the past. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in history, 
There is nothing new. It is funny for me looking at situations and going, wow, everybody thinks this is wonderful. Everybody thinks this is really new and unusual. And it's like, it's been tried. I was in a training session this week and they were talking about management and leadership and, and they were giving all these new people saying all kinds of interesting things. And I'm going, these are the same things that were said back in the 70s and 80s. Little different words, a little different encouragement, but the same exact things are being said because that's what the cycles go up and down, back and forth. The church has grown, the church has shrunk, the church has been popular with people, and the church has been unpopular with people. And when it's unpopular, the church grows. You know, and when the church grows and starts becoming popular, all the people get in because it's popular, and we get further and further from God, and then all of a sudden we start shrinking because God is bringing judgment upon the church because of all the craziness that they're bringing into it. And only been around for 50 years, but I've already started seeing some of the cycles that go around, and I've studied the church history, and I've seen the cycles. You know, we need to stay focused on God in all aspects. We want to stay in the center of the road and just say, God, I want you. I want to focus on you. I want to stay completely in a relationship with you. When I get to the before Jesus, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you. I definitely don't want to hear these, what he said to these people. Knocking on the door, I don't even know who you are. Well, I ate dinner with you all day long. I was, I was in your house. I, you saw me. He goes, I don't know who you are. Go away. Where are we with our Christianity? We cannot lose our salvation. Once you are saved, you have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on him shall have eternal life. God is not an Indian giver. If you truly believe in Jesus, you are in a relationship with him. He tells us that he will come in and dwell with us. He says the Holy Spirit will come in and dwell with us. He will change us from the inside out. The question is, are you being a changed person? Or are you just trying to follow a bunch of rules? And this is important. I've told many people, I really truly believe that when you get saved, at least one thing is going to change in your life. One thing. It may be something small. It could be all of a sudden, I love going to church, or I love being in the Bible. It could be a sin that is captured away from you. I have heard more and more people say, well, I, I got saved and I noticed that my language changed. And all of a sudden they couldn't say all the words that they used to say. Now amazingly in today's world that might mean that people become dumb. <laughs> because their conversation is so full of foul language that if God was to change their language they wouldn't have anything to say. It's really sad that we live in a generation that doesn't know what an adjective is. They have one adjective out there. And I'm not going to say it because I hate that word. <laughs> You know, uh, and, you know, I work at the prison, and, you know, unfortunately, I hear more adjectives from the inmates than I do from the correction officers. The correction officers have fouler mouths than most of the inmates do. And that's sad. But, you know, where is our language? Does our language indicate to people that we know Jesus? Do we express love to people? Do we express care to people? Now, I understand we're fallen people, and we're not going to express love and care to every single person around us. But we need to be able to express this love and care to people 
And the question is, do you truly know God? Is he truly your savior? And is he part of your life? And I hope so, and I know the testimony of most of the people in this church, you know, that seem to be following Jesus and love him. And I can say I've watched lives changed. There are certain people in this church I am very sure that they're saved because I have watched their lives changed over the years. Some of you are new and I don't know you that well yet. But we're going to say, where are we with God? When the time comes, will he say, come on in, I know you. Or is it going to be, yeah, I saw you in the dining room, but I don't know who you are. I saw you in the hallway talking to a couple people, but I don't know who you are. Do we know him? Are we feeding at his table? Is he literally running our life and in control of our life? He is Lord and Savior. He saves us from sin and damnation. But then he says, I am to be Lord. Now, we in America have a hard time with the word Lord. Now, he is my master. He can tell me what to do. What are we in America? We are self-made people. Nobody tells me what to do. Now, unfortunately, we tend to bring that into Christianity a lot. I'm a self-made person. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm not listening to God telling me what to do because I am a self-made person. If you have that attitude, you've got a problem. He is not Lord. And I would be wondering at that point, do you really know him? My understanding of him, just as we sang, I must tell Jesus, do you really tell him what's going on and what's going on? You know, when you're, in, when you're having a hard time, do you go to Jesus? God, do you all, I don't even think it's fair. Be blunt with him if you need to. God, I don't think it's fair that you're putting me through all these troubles today. He's got broad shoulders. He understands. Now, he might remind you that he's in control of everything and that there's nothing new under the sun, that nothing is going to come upon you that is not common. He might remind you, my favorite verse, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You know, my, my understanding when I complain to God is, God, I really don't see how this is going to happen. I trust that you are going to make it good, but I don't see how it's going to happen. Help me to endure. Because it gets hard sometimes. It gets very hard sometimes to look at what God says is going to be for our good and go, man, God, I, I've, been, I've been under a ton of bricks for, for three years now. When, when, when are you going to take this ton of bricks off and do something good? And he goes, I've got, the, I've got it under control. Do we really understand how much God has under control? He has everything under control. There is nothing that is ever going to surprise God that happens to your life. And I've said it several times, the word you'll never hear from God, he'll never be saying, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> we didn't know it was going to happen. We're surprised by what happens. We're irritated by what happens. But you know what? God is never surprised. He knows the beginning from the end. And he knew it before it ever happened. You know, and this is the amazing thing. He knew everything that you and I were going to do before creation. Before he even started anything, he knew what we were going to do. And we're going, wow. 
You know, when we think that God has lost control of everything going on around us, he hasn't. And you know what? He doesn't care if we think he's lost control. He's just standing there and saying, I'm still in control. Are you going to trust me? And that is hard. This is why we are encouraged to have faith like a child. The child trusts his parents, at least early on, to, to take care of them, to, be, to do what needs to be done. To be able to jump off of the, the diving board into the deep end of the pool and be caught. To be challenged to get on that bike and to ride that bike that they're afraid to ride without the training wheels and hope that mom and dad is going to catch them if they fall. When God puts us into situations, he's saying, I want you to have faith that I am in charge. I am in control. And the problem is, so many times, we want to be in control. God's sitting in the driver's seat saying, I've got this. And we're saying, well, God, we're coming onto a curve. Let me help you make this turn. You're going a little too fast or too slow for me. Let me get the pedals. Now, have you ever had somebody try to do that to you in a car? Maybe some of you remember the days of driver's ed when they had actually two sets on one, both sides and you're trying to do something and the driver's ed teacher's trying to do something. You know, and it's like, hold it, nothing's going on. We need to make sure that God is in control and we are just stepping back and saying, God, I want to do what you want. I want to follow you in where you want to go. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's a learned event, and the more we practice it, the easier it gets. But we need to learn to just trust him. And we sing a song, only trust him. You know, do we truly trust him? When we sing some of these songs, and I think, you know, are we listening to the words of the songs? Are we really listening to what is being said? I try to be very careful on songs that we sing in the church to make sure that they are good biblical songs that lift up God and to teach something. And I'm hoping you're listening to words of the songs because these are very powerful. Songs can be very powerful to help us understand things because God wants us to fully understand him. He fully wants us to trust him. He fully wants us to put all of our being in him and make him Lord and master. And the thing about that is to let him be Lord and master and be obedient you know, and just surrender. And it's not easy sometimes to surrender, especially for us Americans. We have a big problem with surrendering and giving people authority. If you've ever managed people, you know that that's a problem. If you've ever listened to people talk about their, their work situation, you know it's a problem. You know, how many times do we complain about our government? Worse yet, how many times do we complain about God? God, why are you letting these things happen to me? Why are you letting these things happen to this individual who seems to love you as well? We need to be very careful because God has a plan always. Always has a plan. And we need to learn to trust his plan. Even when it's difficult to trust his plan. Because he knows what's coming. He knows why he's doing things in our life. Now, I understand because believe me, I'm in the same place. Sometimes it's very hard to trust him 
when you're going, God, uh, we're headed at, at 100 miles an hour to a brick wall over there. I don't see how this is good. <laughs> you know, and he goes, well, that's not there. And that's not there. I've got a ramp or, you know, he's got a way out, out of it when we don't see it. And he's got a plan. And our job is to learn what his plan is and trust his plan. Not even learn what his plan is, but to trust his plan and allow him to do with us what he wants. How many times have we seen people who seem to have had everything taken away from them and yet they go, thank you, God, that we weren't home? Our house burned down and thank you that we weren't in the house. You know, maybe you've been driving down the road and you had a flat tire and then you found that there was a you know, 12-car crash ahead of you. You were irritated while you were changing that tire, but then you were thankful when you saw the answer. Now the problem is we don't always see the answer. We may not see the answer of the why until we get to heaven and God shows us from a whole different perspective the whys behind our life. We do not know how many people have come to Christ because of what they have watched us go through with God. And I give this example not because I'm anything special, but I, and I've given this example. There was a time that I was six months on crutches with gout. And believe me, after six months on crutches with gout, I was complaining to God a lot. God, I don't understand how this can be for good. I really don't understand how being on crutches for six months is, do, is good. How are you getting any glory out of this? And about a year later, somebody came to me and said, you encouraged me by being so faithful while you were in so much pain. The good that comes out of what God is doing in our life might not be for us. It might be somebody just watching you and saying, they've got something I want. They have a relationship with a God that keeps them going when all things are tough. I want what they have. And we may not ever hear about it till we get to heaven. And we hear in the, the testimony from them, I'm here because of what I watched you go through. Thank you. So do not believe the lies of Satan that what you're going through is worthless. Trust God. He has a plan for your life. Can I tell you what his plan is? Absolutely not. Can anybody else tell you what his plan is? Probably not. Will God explain his plan to us? Maybe, maybe not. Usually not. He just says, trust, I have a plan. We're going this way. Turn this way, turn that way, go this way. And you know what? I love the fact about, it, about his verses. He says that all things work together for good. Not all the things you do that he says that you're supposed to do. All things. When I totally mess up, I totally destroy some part of my life, I totally mess up my family, I totally mess up whatever it is, God still has a plan and will work it out for good. I hope that gives you some courage and, and ability. If I step out for God and I step out the wrong direction, God still says, I've got a plan for it. When I do the right thing, he goes, I've got a plan for it. When I go the wrong way, completely the wrong way, he says, I've got a plan for it. And it will be good. Good will come out of it. That should encourage us because now I can be very bold and I'm going, God, I'm going to step out for you. I'm going to do things because I think it's right. Oh, it wasn't right? Okay, God, let's see how you're going to change this. We make it good. 
and turn me around and make me do the right thing. I hope that you really understand that God has a plan whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing. Whether those around you do the right thing or the wrong thing. He has a plan and it will turn out for good. Learn to trust him. Learn to follow him. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan. Lord, we ask you to help us to trust you enough to listen to your voice. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today that they will go, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord. For the rest of us, we ask, Lord, that you will help us to learn to make you our Lord, that you are in charge and that we will make the commitment that, Lord, I will serve you. I will follow you with my whole heart. And we just thank you for all of that. And we just ask you to bless each person here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes. And the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God. And this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.